Mike Foster is a friend of imperfectionists and second chancers. For the past 15 years, he has focused his work on helping people flourish in their lives by helping them be passionate about their not-so-perfect stories. Mike is the founder and chief chance officer at the People of the Second Chance, and this nonprofit organization is guided by this lofty ideal that every person on earth deserves a second chance. Mike joins us today in this episode of Let the Music Play podcast as we talk about his book, People of the Second Chance, a guide to bringing life-saving love to the world. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. And man, I, I just look at uh, what's happening in, in our country and in the world, and we need more heart healers. Mm-hmm. We need more peacemakers. We need more people amplifying and stirring up hope. Yeah. And, and so really, to me, the what or what, what's next once we know who we are, that's the, that's the exciting part of the Second Chance Life is that man every day is new every day is filled and loaded with these opportunities to love others hey guys welcome back to another episode of let the music play i'm your host ashton gustafson and this is where we chat about what it looks like and what it feels like and what it means to make music with your life your relationships and your career um not long ago uh, a book crossed my path called people of the second chance a guide to bringing life-saving love to the world. Um, the author of that book is Mike Foster. Uh, I had the chance to hear him a few years back at a conference in Austin. Um, and if there's one thing I know about this guy, he he is one of us. He is a music maker. He is putting beautiful, beautiful things into the world. Uh, and I reached out and said, hey, we we need to hear from you. We need to hear uh, your good stories. And so that being said, um, today we have on our show Mike Foster. He says that he is a friend of imperfectionist and second chancers. Um, and he's also the founder uh, and chief chance officer. How great is that? At the people of the second chance. Um, and he just believes that every person on earth deserves a second chance. And so with that being said, uh, I just want to introduce Mike to the show. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be on. Thanks, Ashton, for having me here. Well, you got it, man. Well, I am, uh, I am a fan of you and your work. Uh, it's beautiful of what you're putting out there. Um, I know that so many people's lives and stories are being shaped by this just incredibly redemptive message. Um, especially in the midst of noise, like it's just a noisy time of the year, if you know what I mean, election season and all that. Uh, But you're bringing a very great and beautiful redemption story to the world. Well, thanks. Yeah, I I feel like um, in many ways I want to be the counterpoint to a lot of things that we see in our society and a lot of different uh, messages and voices that are out there that tend to be uh, very condemning or judgment or shaming and and really just offer up really a new pathway for people and a new lens to see not only ourselves, but how we see each other and how we interact with each other. And that that really is through sort of this foundational idea of grace, love, compassion, um, listening, and 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 really, I, I really look at it like the, the we look at our site and the forces of darkness are fully funded and the shame machine and the judgment machine is fully operational. Mm-hmm. And so like there there's like we don't actually have to participate in that yeah. and that there is another way. 
Absolutely. There is another way. Um, and you are, I mean, I'd say you're at the front of that movement. Um, and so thank you for that. So, so I want to get into the book. Um, and we've got a lot of different ways and roads we can journey down on this book. Um, but it's called People of the Second Chance, A Guide to Bringing Life-Saving Love to the World. And you call this a manifesto for prodigals, imperfectionists, and hopesters. How awesome is that? Um, <laughs> so where where do you begin? I mean, when someone says, okay, well, tell me tell me about this book. I mean, do you have a snippet, an elevator speech uh, of, of why you wrote it and who it's for? Yeah, so, so for me, I, I always, you know, I mean thousands of people every year and, and talk to thousands of people at different events and conferences and, you know, phone calls and small groups and whatever. And I, I really like this. I feel like this book is just the, if you and I could sit down for a couple hours and talk about your life and your story and your dreams and your passions, your failures, the things that maybe you feel insecure about, maybe that you have fears about, maybe some things that feel shameful or embarrassing. Like if you and I could sit down at a Starbucks, you know, I'd order a grande mocha. I don't know what you would order, <laughs> but um, that, that this book would be everything that I would want to say to you and pour into you and sort of unlock in your heart to really say like um, your life has value. It has meaning. It is important that, that you're not defined by your worst moments. You don't have to be afraid of, who you are or how God has made you or what your things that you find interesting or the, the dreams that you have and really say like, give people confidence and courage to step into this really beautiful life of second chance living. Yeah. And, and let me just say to, to the people that maybe haven't read this book, um, it, it feels like you're in Starbucks read like, like it do, it's, it's not written in a way of like, Oh, that was a very, a sophisticated long sentence that doesn't make sense. Like I feel like I, I feel like you're there, just going like, "Hey, like here, here, here's here's the good news. Here's here's some joy. Here's some whimsy. Um, I mean, it's witty. It's hilarious. You, you so, some of these metaphors um, are just golden. I'm gonna carry them with me for a long time. And I I want you to share the story that you share at the beginning of, of the book, your personal story. Um, mm-hmm. I had forgotten this story that you shared in Austin. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness. Um, so I want you to share the story. And then I kind of want us to walk down the road of redemption and resurrection, second chance, how you've taken this story and, and turned it into something beautiful. Yeah. So for me, um, you know, when I was 19 years old, uh, I was on the Colorado River at a water ski trip, and I was behind the wheel of a boat, driving a boat, pulling a skier, and I began to turn the boat into what I thought was clear water, um, but the water wasn't clear. There was actually another skier who had fallen from another boat and was waiting to be picked up, and he was just kind of bobbing there in the water, and because of the speed that I was going, because I... Uh, didn't see him until it was too late. I actually hit him with the boat and I didn't just sort of bump him or sort of brush by him. I literally ran him over where the, or actually the propeller of the boat ran up his arm and broke off in his head. And, um, it was one of those moments where we're literally like your life just changes in a second Mm -hmm. In, in just this split second. Like, 
And I, I remember, you know, the screaming of that of people on a boat, people that were watching this. I remember this visual of his really lifeless, bloody body floating in the water. Um, I remember him being uh, just pulled up into another boat and, and then he would be medevaced out to a, an emergency room and he would barely survive, but, but the damage had been done. Um, literally he, his body would be permanently scarred and disfigured because of the propeller hitting his body and his arm. Um, he would suffer some, some brain damage where he'd have to kind of work through physical therapy and get sort of some of his faculties back. And I just remember the, the guilt and the shame and wanting to, you know, undo what I had just done. And I would have paid any price for that. Like, and I think all of us have these moments where we just wish there was a redo button or that we could rewind the tape and just go, man, I wish I would have made a different decision there or um, I said something different or, or decided not to get in the car that night or whatever that might be. I think we all have those moments that we wish we could take back. Unfortunately, you know, life doesn't play fair that way. It doesn't actually allow us to take things back. It doesn't actually allow do-overs. All it, all it does is allow us to take sort of these broken things in our story and our life. And we can either build something um, that is ugly and angry and defeated, or we can build something beautiful and take some of those broken pieces of our lives and say, you know what? I just earned a PhD in pain. <laughs> yeah. How am I going to use that to help others? How am I going to use that to help heal other hearts? Wow. How long, how long of a journey was it? And, and is it still a journey today on navigating that moment and saying, I'm not going to allow this to define me? Because um, yes. I, I really want our listeners maybe someone that's never thought they could have a second chance. They they've just drawn the line in the sand and said, I'm defined by whatever decision you want to give us your experience on time, uh, journey, like, like the, the ups, the downs. I, I don't really know how to ask the question, but I think you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Well, there's two, two things. Um, you know, to, to sort of say like a lot of times with these, these moments, these painful moments, traumatic moments, just moments that, you know, we, we just wish we could have, could have a second chance. And I think our society talks a lot about, I mean, we hear this in therapy or, you know, kind of the collective wisdom is this idea of closure. Mm. Like we just have closure over these moments and then we just kind of move on. I actually don't believe in that, that idea or that concept. I only believe in openings where we have this opportunity, this new start, this new beginning, this literally like my friend of mine and his wife just went through this incredibly difficult season where there was an affair and just this just horrible brokenness, right? And you know, I, I told them that like that marriage that you guys lived for 16 years, that marriage is dead. However you were operating, whatever that relationship looked like, that thing just died because of what has happened in the disclosure of this affair and all the pain and all the yelling. All this. But it opens you guys up as a couple to actually begin to build a new marriage, mm -hmm. a new thing, uh, a different way of relating to each other, a new love that could be released and unlocked in your life. And so uh, that to me is really what I want the book to be about. And what I want people to experience is that 
that you know these things don't define us they make us they may, they're a part of our story they're a, a, a sentence or a paragraph they're a chapter of our story but we make a mistake that is saying like this you know i am not my boating accident yeah i am not that worst moment on the colorado river um what i am is that is a part of who i am and i actually believe that accident in in the other painful parts of my life and other rock bottom moments of my story that those moments actually have expanded my heart for greater empathy and compassion and understanding for the brokenness of others hmm. and and that's really the choice that we make in our lives it's like we can either sort of sit as a victim, we can sort of lick our wounds for the rest of our lives, we can sort of pretend that it doesn't hurt, we can, you know, whatever, we can just kind of plow our way through it. Um, Or we can say, okay, how is this unlocking something in my life that is going to give me what I call in the book an unfair advantage? I truly believe that it is the moments of pain, it is the moments of brokenness, it is our, you know, boating accident, uh, you know, events that give us an unfair advantage to actually love the world and love people in a way that those who have not been broken, who have, or at least have not embraced their brokenness, mm-hmm. that they will never be able to be used the way that you might be able to use if you really step into your pain and really own um, what has happened. Wow, that's so good. Yeah, you own that story in the words of our friend Richard Rohr, you die before you die. <laughs> yes. Um uh and and you you write in the book that what happens is when you draw that line in the sand and you 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 don't allow you you allow it to close you off, you don't allow it to open up, open yourself up. You take a moment of pain and it cuts you off from a lifetime of grace. Um mm-hmm. and you state that basically there's like five condemn condemnments. I can't say that properly. Five condemnments that people um, basically say to themselves that that keep them stuck. They keep them in reverse. They they keep them closed. They don't keep them uh, opened up to this beauty, what you call the unfair advantage. You want to walk us through those those five things that that people. I guess I mean they're real. They really are un, untrue beliefs that people tell themselves. Yeah, I talk about uh, the, kind of the five condemnments, but the reality is, Ashton, I think there's there's lots of condemnments. Millions. Basically, yeah. millions of them. Yeah. And basically, what I want to do is like challenge your listeners and anybody who's reading the book to identify a lie that they believe about themselves and their life based yeah. on a, a painful event. That's and we cool. all... We all carry those, and there's there's certain rules that we've made. There's certain beliefs that we have that are simply not true. They we think they're true because they made sense. We we made, rewrote the rule in a moment of pain and confusion and trauma. Hmm. And so, for example, let me give you an example. Like maybe you have gone through a, a, a really painful divorce, okay? And maybe one of the rules that you have written for your life is that I will never find love again. You know, I had my chance at love. I had my chance at marriage, and I, you know, it's messed it up or it screwed it up. It's it's over, it, and I'll never allow myself to, you know, be married again or to find real love again. And that's just a rule that you made in your head. You may not 
communicate or verbalize that to anybody. But you are living from that lie or that condemnment. A lot of people maybe get betrayed by a friend or, or stabbed in the back. And their new rule is, I will never trust anybody again. And so, again, these lines in the sand, these these rules that we make with ourselves literally strip the joy and and the the flourishing of life out because we believe it to be true when it is not true. And those are the lies that have to be challenged yeah, absolutely. And and you just list them, you know, uh, there at the very beginning of the book. And, and I wanted our listeners to hear these. Number one, one of the lies is I don't deserve a second chance. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, I am my shame. I am my secrets. That, man, you want to talk about something that weighs humanity down is shame. Um, yes. <clears throat> number three, I will always feel and be this way. Is there a worse feeling than the feeling of being stuck? Um the feeling of feeling that there's no way out, there's no tomorrow, there's no next, there's no resurrection. Um, number four, I am defined by my worst moments. And then number five, I think this one was huge. My life, my dreams, and my hopes no longer matter. Um, mm-hmm. I would think that as you have toured the country and share with group after group, setting after setting, I can only imagine the stories uh, and the, the uh, what I hope are the stories of renewal um, and possibility that people are sharing with you after you going, hey, these five things, y- y- you don't have to buy into them. There's a better way. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, I tell people I got the greatest job in the world because I actually get to walk into people's stories. And sometimes they're, they're stories that have been resolved and they're in a healthy place and maybe they're you know, they're, they're, um, thriving in life again, but sometimes it's people who are literally in the Valley and I'm sitting with them in their worst moments. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the most wonderful, beautiful things that I get to participate in is where I get to come alongside people and say, these five condemnments, these things that you might believe about life or your journey or your story about who you are, let's talk about these and let's talk about how the fact is that these are not true, that you are not defined by your shame, that your life does have meaning and purpose, that there is hope, that there is second chances. And I think that's how, you know, if you, as your listeners are listening to this, I, I, I want to stir up this, this belief in people's lives to say like in, in the most simple, simplistic, basic ways, we can literally alter somebody's course if we just come in and remind them that they are loved that it's going to be okay um that they're not alone and that there is hope for tomorrow yeah absolutely and and you say that there's two questions that have to be answered in order to silence these lies um and and it really is identity owning actually who you are uh at the most divine objective level and and your your answer to who am i is that we are the beloved you want to walk with that yeah well to me everything flows our life how we do relationships how we see our future how you know our careers all of it flows from how we see ourselves and we are either people filled with value and worth and dignity and love or we see ourselves through the lens of 
we're not enough. We have to hustle for our worth. We have to prove something. We have to perform for love. And so to me, one of the things I, I take people through the, in the journey through the book is talking about this idea of identity and who are you. And I think all of us will, will wear different labels um, throughout our lives, you know, in, in some of them are positive labels. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, right. you know, things, you know, business guy, whatever you, whatever there's positive labels, but then there's also negative labels that we wear too. Like maybe we, we see ourselves as an addict. We see ourselves as broken. We see ourselves as a victim, but, but, and all those are just labels, but they're, but they are not who you truly are. And I think the, um, and Brennan Manning talks about this stuff. The only identity, the only quote unquote label that makes sense is that of the beloved, Mm -hmm. that we are deeply loved, that we have worth and dignity and value, whether we agree with that or not. (laughs) It's just inherent. It just is. And so when we grasp a hold of that identity and when we anchor our lives and our relationships and our careers and our futures in knowing that we are loved, um, because perfect love also casts out all fear, right? Yeah, because cool. because it's not just about living in love; it's about not living in fear. Yeah. And um, so often we just start we we live in this place of insecurity. We live in this place of fear. Um, this 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 uh, concept of scarcity instead instead of living as the beloved. And I, to me, that's like how I live my life every day. And that's why I think. I, and it's taken a long time to get there mm-hmm. and it's taken a lot of processing and a lot of um, risk to say like, no, I am loved. I don't have to operate from the, the rules of shame and judgment anymore. I can operate from the rules of knowing that I am loved and I'm going to be able to, and when I know I'm loved, then I become a great lover of others. Yeah, 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 totally. And, and you have to reset and anchor in that every day. Um, cause boy, it's easy to forget <laughs> in, <laughs> it is. in the midst of, uh, everything that life brings our way. So, so we're, we're silencing, uh, these lies. We first begin with who we are. We are beloved. And when you're anchored in that, then you say you can determine what you're going to be about. Um, so walk us down that road. Cause you've, you've said that, you know, you need to find and be, uh, like a party planner, be a cheerleader, be a healer. Um, when you're grounded in who you are, the what easily follows, I guess, is where we're going. Yes, absolutely. And man, I, I just look at uh, what's happening in, in our country and in the world, and we need more heart healers. Mm-hmm. We need more peacemakers. We need more people amplifying and stirring up hope. And and so really to me, the what or what, what's next once we know who we are, um, it's a sense of moving into broken places, discouraged places, places of division, places of hate, places of confusion and, and bringing really this gift that you have of your own story of your own identity, of 
of your vision for not only your life, but for the lives of others to know that they are, they're loved and that there is hope and that there is forgiveness. And I know all we see is darkness and division and hatred. And, and I know it feels very desperate right now, or maybe your life is filled with despair, but that there is another way. And that's what I think it means to live as people of the second chance. It's like, we're these lighthouses of hope or these, these, these beacons of love that, it, and it and it happens in all kinds of contexts. I mean, it could happen at your work. It could happen at the gas station. It can happen in your home. It can happen with strangers. It can happen with your enemies. Like that's the that's the exciting part of the second chance life is that man, every day is new. Every day is filled and loaded with these opportunities to love others and to boldly and courageously do that. Like because here's the thing. Come back to the identity piece. When we're living in fear or when we feel like we're not enough, we're going to hold back. Yeah. We're going to step back. We're going to be like, oh, no, I don't, I don't think I could help there. Or I like, oh, no, that's, no, that's out of my, my expertise. But like when you know your love, it's like I can step in and, and go, man, I don't know what to do here. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to fix this, mm-hmm. but I'm here and I, I'm not scared. And, I, and I, I feel like I have something to contribute. It may not be, even be clear right now. But I have something to give. I have found something that is true. And that what that truth is that that love is the answer for yeah. the world. Yeah. Yes. And uh, the, the, the power that's in that, um, the power that's in identifying yourself in and through and by that love. Um, I was just thinking, Parker J. Palmer wrote a book called The Promise of Paradox, um, and I was just thinking about how uh, this idea that you're bringing is really awakening people to, hey, that that really, 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 really dark thing um, can actually be the brightest thing that you yes. th- that you have to offer the world. Um, and it's like, man, every time we come across truth, there's just paradox somewhere in it. Um, yes. <laughs> and so I hope that. Um, for whoever's listening to this today, if if you have felt like you never had the second chance, just know that that thing that's the chains that's on you, the the weight that's holding you down, um, it can actually be your gift to the world. Um, you just got to get through it somehow. Um, wow, so good. So so let's talk about the other side because looking in from afar um, on your Instagram stream, uh, I am loving these prodigal parties um, that you, that you host. Do you want to tell us kind of the background behind these? What is a prodigal party? Who are they for? Uh, and maybe one or two of the stories of them. Yeah. So, uh, probably for the past year or so, uh, we've just been, you know, me and my friends have been, uh, celebrating second chances and we've been doing that for people who are, getting out of prison and literally like weeks out of prison, just a few weeks out of prison and saying, we want to, we want to throw you a party, balloons, cake, uh, cheese dip, guacamole, (laughs) you know, food, Macarena and dancing, like all of it, like with no agenda, there's no agenda of like, Hey, well, we got to talk about the past or we got to, you know, Hey, it's literally just to, to pour into them love and belief and hope. And, um, so one, you know, one of the stories is of a woman named Ramona and, uh, 
we threw a party for Ramona a couple months ago, and uh, you can actually see the see her story online at um, our website, secondchance.org. We've got a, her. We did kind of a behind the scenes of her party, but but Ramona had served 21 years in prison, uh, in federal prison for a a nonviolent drug offense. Which, by the way, you know that's a whole nother mm-hmm. thing that right. we can talk about in terms <laughs> of the injustice in terms of some of our sentencing laws. But she served 21 years, and she actually had a life sentence, but was granted clemency by President Obama a few months ago and was released. But after serving 21 years, being treated like a number, being treated like a throwaway, being, uh, you know, having her dignity and values stripped away through the the prison system, um, we said, Ramona, we'd love to throw you just a party and we want to celebrate you and we want to remind you that you're loved and that you have worth and value and a future and a hope. And, uh, so she was down with that. And so we had over, I think 120 people show up for her party and it was awesome. I mean, we danced, we ate, we had a cake with all this kind of candles. Like it was in, and the thing that I love about the prodigal parties is, um, they, they're so simple. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ramona's party was big, but but we've we've thrown parties. I was at a party two weeks ago. It was with five people at a pizza hut, okay, <laughs> for a guy who had just you know gotten out of prison. And um, a few of, a few of us got together and was just like, hey, and we we prayed for him. We gave him a uh, we give everybody a, a giving key which says courage on it. Um, and uh, you know, it's just this. We we pour into them. We let them share their dreams and their hopes for their future and just listen and, and, and engage. And it is so, such a beautiful, sacred, holy thing. Um, and, and the thing that I always tell people is like, you know, we're, we've been throwing parties for prisoners and inmates and people who have been getting out of prison, but every single one of us right now know somebody in our life, in our neighborhood, in our workplace that needs a party, yeah. not a birthday party, not a anniversary party, not a wedding party. Like literally just, they need to be reminded that they're not alone, that they're loved and that, um, we believe in them. And so, you know, that's what I'm trying to release. Like, it's not just about us sort of being reservoirs of God's grace and love and like going, yes, I'm loved. I, I, you know, that's great for me. It's really about us being rivers and channels and conduits of love. So good. And so the party is really just to me that expression. It's the, it's the river of love flowing mm. out of us. Dude. So good. I mean, I, I'm done in Luke 15. Like when, when the story of the prodigal son and, and the God character in that story is just, so beautiful. And I love that you're just, you're doing that. You're, you're making these, uh, these prodigal parties, um, that are just absolutely amazing. And you write in the book, like one of my favorite things in the world is underlining lines that like either a, I wish I would have written or B unlock something in me that I knew was always true, but I didn't know how to say it. And in the book, uh, and I told this to my wife last night, you, you, you call these things a grace flavored snow cone on a hot judgmental day. Yes. Uh, I mean, bro, that's like grand slam of sentences. Um, so, so beautiful and so inspiring. Um, 
Man, so the, one of the last things, we're, you know, this podcast, Let the Music Play, uh, you've used this metaphor of mixtape. So I was like, we can't, we can't get out of this conversation without talking about uh, the, the mixtapes. So walk me through this metaphor in the book about the mixtapes that play in our head and like how we can walk through those, journey with them, and as you call, uh, take control of the buttons and sing the soundtrack of grace. Yeah, so I, I think all of us struggle with this, the issue of the critical voices in our head. And all of us, we, we have so many conversations, so many messages, so many tapes that are playing in our brain and in our heart. And the, the sad thing is most of those tapes that we play, those mixtapes, are filled with songs of judgment, condemnation, telling us that we won't make it, telling us that our lives don't matter, telling us that we would we would never be good at that. And and so we can't really begin to live as the beloved. We can't really begin to throw prodigal parties and celebrate people. If we if we're locked into a tape that plays nonstop that mm-hmm. says you're not enough. Well, or if that tape is a condemning tape. And so the beautiful thing, and I, I, I'm a child of the 80s. I grew up in the 80s, and I used to make mixtapes, <laughs> and I would load up songs. And I guess it's sort of like playlists now, or your Spotify yeah. playlist. Yeah. But, but um, this, this whole sense of the, the beautiful thing about when I was making mixtapes is that I got to actually choose what songs went on that tape. And that tape could be erased, that tape could be paused. That tape could be ejected. Um, and, and so I, I really want to, within the book, and I want to write about this, is we have to take responsibility for what's on the tape. And we actually have a lot of control over what that message is. And I actually talk about some basic practices and some things that you can do to sort of quiet those negative voices and yeah. to replace those, those condemning voices with voices of grace and songs of grace. And, um, but, but really I, I think it, it for, for many of us, the mixtape has become such a part of our life and such a familiar soundtrack for our life, the negative mixtape that we just assume like it's always going to be this way or it's mm-hmm. always going to play or it, it's like, yeah, of course it's true. And we, and so maybe the first step, and I talk about this in the book, the first step in, you know, replacing the negative mixtape with a grace-filled mixtape is, um, is recognizing that it's there and that it needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't have to just sort of accept it. And you don't have to just keep playing it. And you don't have to turn up the volume anymore. It's like, we can do something about it. And I feel like... Our brain, our mind, our emotions, those those messages that that only we hear, right? Yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're only for us. Yeah. And they're trapped in our little brain. Like we will never truly experience the second chance life. We'll never truly experience the joy that I think God wants to have, you know, pour out in our lives. And we will never truly flourish in our relationships if we just keep letting that negative mixtape play. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It has to be dealt with. Yeah. And you say, call baloney on the lyrics, take control of the buttons and sing that soundtrack of grace. Absolutely. Um, which it let the music play podcast. That's just, that's so dialed in. That's perfect. <laughs> um, so to, to wrap this up, um, 
I, one of one of the things, or, or the thing that has stuck with me the most, uh, was when you ended one of these chapters about freeing your light, and mm-hmm. you you shared this parable um, that like long ago they would tell children in Hawaii this parable of like this bowl of light. Um, you want to share that with us because. I, w- I would just love to hear you verbally riff on it because I thought, oh my gosh, that is, that's something that I think we can all walk with for a long, long time. Yeah, well, there's just this this story, this uh, Hawaiian parable that that is told, and it and it really just has to deal with like we have this this bowl of light, and um, and, I, and I talk about just how this sense of this light that every single human being has in them. Um, this this capacity to love, this capacity to give, this capacity to heal other hearts. Like there, there's this thing that happens along our journey that it just begins to squelch the light and to to bury the light. And whether that's through pain, trauma, our own fears, our own insecurities, maybe some condemning voices that have been spoken over our, our lives, maybe as a child or even as an adult. And so the the key to me, and I really, I, I love the story and I love the metaphor because it, it's really just about like what I'm writing about in the book and what I'm trying to do in my life is to help people release their light yeah. and, um, and to, to almost get out of their own way sometimes yeah. and stop blocking what they're, they're naturally wired to do like there's there's certain there's a certain perspective on life and people and maybe even theology that says like you're dark you're evil you're you're broken and um doesn't it doesn't begin with original blessing it does not begin with original (laughs) blessing And, and and i i i'm like i don't actually think that's number one very helpful right and number two i i refuse to see each other and even my own life through the sense that I am this wicked, dark person. Right. I am, I, I have, I have the ability to do wicked and dark things. I understand that, but I, I believe, you know, like God created me and you and everybody on this planet in his image with this capacity, this radical capacity to love and to bring joy and good things and to create and to do art and to have passions and dreams and like write songs and all like that is who we are. That is our life that's needing to be released into the world. And we, and there's just unfortunately too many systems, too many theologies, too many messages that try to bury the light in us. And and so that's what I want to fight against. That's what I want to dismantle. That's what I want to stop. And I want to say, like, no, you are a second chancer. You are a hopester. You're, you're, yes, you are a prodigal, but you are deeply, deeply loved. And let's go. Let's go. Dude, we come from light. We are light. The world needs our light. Um, well, you're doing it. I mean, on, on behalf of so many, uh, I mean, thank you. Thank you for your good and necessary work and for showing us another way. Um, we need more luminaries and, uh, I hope, uh, I hope you keep doing it. I hope you stay curious. Hope you felt honored in this conversation. We, we really are thankful for what you're doing. Well, I, I appreciate it, Ashton. It's been, 
been a real joy just being with you. And um, yeah, I just encourage people if they're they want to hear more, pick up a copy of the book. It's at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all the major retailers. Um, if you want a signed copy, you can get it at our website at secondchance.org. And uh, um, yeah, just just uh, let's let's just keep keep challenging these systems of of shame and judgment and start living out our lives in a very different way. Absolutely. So good. We can also follow you on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, and you can find more on Mike at MikeFoster.tv. Mike, uh, grace and peace to you, my friend. Thanks, Ashton. Okay. Great being with you. Okay, man. We'll talk soon. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Mike as much as I did. If so, make sure you go follow him, support his work, get this latest book, People of the Second Chance, A Guide to Bringing Life-Saving Love to the World. You can find that book on Amazon, and you can find out more about Mike at secondchance.org and mikefoster.tv. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love. Today's episode is brought to us by Holsty. Holsty explores what it means to live a life of intention and reflection through art, words, and action. Through their monthly subscription, Holsty examines themes inspired by the science of mindfulness, positive psychology, and ancient philosophy. Each month, subscribers receive letterpress prints illustrated by emerging artists, along with action lists and digital toolkits, encouraging further exploration and reflection. Holstie's journey began in 2009 with the viral popularity of their company manifesto, a call to arms around how their founders define success. They couldn't have imagined how much these words would resonate around the world. The Holstie Manifesto was called the next Just Do It by the Washington Post. It's been translated into 13 languages and has received an estimated 100 million social media views. With the encouragement of their global community, they developed the monthly Holstie subscription to help people put the words of the manifesto into action. Be sure to go to Holstie.com slash Ashton and use the checkout code Ashton, A-S-H-T-O-N, to get your first month's free of the Holstie subscription.